So we're looking at John 3, 22 to 36. John the Baptist exalts Jesus. Then Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem and went into the Judean countryside. Jesus spent some time with them there, baptizing people. At this time, John the Baptist was baptizing at Anon near Salem, because there was plenty of water there and people kept coming to him for baptism. This was before John was thrown into prison. A debate broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jew over ceremonial cleansing. So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people. And everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. John replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it him from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you. I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the best man is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. He has come from above and is greater than anyone else. We are of the earth, and we speak of earthly things, but he has come from heaven and is greater than anyone else. He testifies about what he has seen and heard, but how few believe what he tells them. Anyone who accepts his testimony can affirm that God is true, for he is sent by God. He speaks God's words, for God gives him the Spirit without limit. The Father loves his Son and has put everything into his hands. And anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. And anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So can we welcome Stephen? Thank you for coming this evening. Go for it. I know you were going to... Well done. This is it. We are a select, the cream of the cream bunch in the evenings. And uh, I'm going to let Stephen introduce himself. Some of you will have seen him over the years. Some of you will only be meeting for the first time tonight. But I think I wanted to ask you to speak and share with us, really from the point of view of, um, I'd love to catch a bit of your heart in terms of what you've been encouraged by, perhaps taking a a 15-year view perhaps, but also recently the things where you're just seeing, to borrow words from our reading and the picture that, that John the Baptist gives of seeing the increase of, 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 of Jesus and, uh, and of the kingdom of God as, uh, as we lay down our lives to, to minister. I would love to, us to hear and catch a bit of your heart and your, what's encouraging you as you see God on the move. Thank you very much. So over to Stephen. Yeah. Um, Nice to be with you. I think quite a few of us maybe we're just getting to know each other now. Um, but uh, basically, I've, um, my father and mother retired here to St. Thomas's in 1986. My dad was an Anglican vicar, evangelical. 
And uh, they said he had 22 years of the best 22 years of their life here in retirement before they went. For, they were getting older and older, and so they went down to Stoke where my brother lives. And I came here, obviously, as a son, um, and then as a married son, and came um, when I'm a missionary in Croatia, my wife and I. And so we came here from time to time and must have accrued about 16 or 18 visits to St. Thomas's. In 2000, when our third child was born, uh, we spent about seven months here. And um, our daughter even, who at that time was four, spent eight months at, um, at the St. Thomas's uh, primary school. Um, so it's a delight to be here at St. Thomas's. We always think this is an engine room for missionary work. I know you do a lot of other things, uh, but that's why you're an engine room for missionary work, because you do lots of things. And uh, you've got a great capacity. So great to be here. Um, in terms of, I would actually like to encourage you. I think that's what the bottom line is. I would like to see that you're encouraged in God's will, with God's grace. Um, just when we're talking here together. But I'd like, if I can quickly, go through three principles which are bedrocks to um, what we do and then talk about some things that's happened this millennium in Croatia. Sounds good, doesn't it? This century. Uh, firstly, it's great to be with the gospel. It's, great, it's a privilege to be with Jesus Christ. It's a privilege to be saved. It's a privilege to live and move and have our being in him and we kind of breathe God. We're not perfect people, I speak for myself here, not perfect but in the main serving him, loving him, following his will. And um, first principle I'd like to say that the gospel is actually really powerful so what we, what motivates us is that the gospel is all-powerful. Romans 1 verse 16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the gospel unto salvation for those, uh, whether Jew or Gentile, whether religious type, open type, normal type, or pagans, you know, beyond the pale. The gospel is powerful for all people, and we're responsible to bring that gospel to all nations, to everybody. All nations belong, starts here, and goes to the, to the end of the world. But we have to have the here and the there and the in-between. Yeah, I think it was quite a good biblical text for that. So it includes our friends, it includes our neighbors, families, but it also includes the out there. And so we should not be ashamed. And Paul as well knew the power principle because he was on the road to Damascus. He was about to persecute people. He was quite powerfully a real anti-God person. or He thought he was for God, but he was actually anti-God. And then he was humbled. And he knew himself the power of the gospel. So whatever we should do, we should know that the gospel is good. Jesus is good. Jesus is worth telling other people. And Jesus can change other people. And he wants to change other people. And it's the only defining factor is do the other people want to accept. Of course, all in the sovereignty of God. Second defining principle is the faith factor, an expectation. Somebody has said there's two kinds of faith. I would push for three. But let's take the two kinds of faith. Firstly, the verse coming after that that I just read, one, um, Romans 1 verse 17, says about the righteous living by faith and living from faith to faith. The um, authorized version has, oh yeah, from faith to faith is the authorized other versions, but there's different kinds of faith. And um, a little bit was touched on that this morning from Kent. I would say there's, say there's two kinds. One is there's active faith and passive faith. Do we really believe? 
or do we believe but we don't do it? For example, I could really believe that somebody really needs £100 to do a certain task for God. And I really believe it and I talk about it, but I don't give that money. So I don't really believe. Or I could believe that this person really needs the gospel and if the gospel is given to that person, they can be changed, but I don't talk to that person. That's passive faith. Active faith is doing it. I think that's clear. Without faith, works Without faith, works are, um, without works, faith are dead. So if you don't do it, you don't have faith. Passive faith. Now, my definition of three levels of faith is one, if you've got the sort of the hopeful faith, when you're, well not, it's the maybe faith, when you're not a Christian perhaps, and you're saying, oh God, if you're a God, save me and this and that, and I'll give over my life and so on. But it's kind of if God exists. But God answers. That's the minimum faith. And God works in it. There's another one which is kind of hopeful, and that is, I've seen you working a few times before. I kind of believe you'll do it, but maybe you won't do it in my time just now, but do it, and then God really does it. The other one is expectation faith, whereas I don't care what the problem is. I know, God, this is what you want. I've prayed about it. I've discussed We know it's in line with the Bible. We're going to go for this. And God delights in that faith. So that's the second thing. And the third one is the open door. Uh, and I think God presents us loads of open doors. And uh, in Acts 16, you see the classic uh, open door where God provides Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke the open door to go to Macedonia. And they've got to go through closed, past closed doors. They don't go to Bithynia. They don't go to Asia because the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus says no. But when the open door is presented, they go. And they are faithful. And the final bit on this Sometimes with a door, you have an opportunity. You think it's God's will. In fact, you feel the call of God to do it, but it looks dodgy. It looks a bit of a challenge. And on the front of the door, you see impossible. Don't even bother trying. Well, a lot of people see that door and they think it's closed. But yet God has said, before, Behold, I, I, I put an open door before you that no man can shut. And if you try to go through that door in obedience with God... It's amazing. You just go through. And on the other side, it says, enabled by God in eternity. And you can see that if the defining fact is, are we willing to go through that door, believing it's open? And sometimes fear is the thing that stops us. Now, coming back to our experiences in, um, <laughs> in Croatia since 2000, we moved from Albania, where we'd seen a kind of revival, um, we were seeing 100 people becoming Christians every year, ourselves with our growing churches and, and colleagues. <coughs> and um, we saw that God really did great things. And we had this expectation, expectation faith when we came. And um, we were wanting to <coughs> excuse me, start churches. And you've got to find colleagues with whom you can do things. And sometimes in Christian life, it's good to do things together. We saw the music group. They did it together. And it's good. Without the drums, it's not quite the same, is it? And it's the encouragement of doing things together as well. And so we found um, a local church in Zagreb, the first Baptist church in the center of town, who were, well, they never said to us, we're willing to do anything. But I went up to them with an American colleague, <laughs> excuse me, and we said, we'd like to start a church. Would you help us or could we help you? And they said, yes. And so we started in Dubrava. Anyone who was here this morning saw the pictures. And 
We started reaching out to people and it was called an impossible task. Dubrava was the sort of the dregs, the sort of the end of nowhere, you know, beyond the back of beyond in Zagreb. There were people from Bosnia and from Kosovo there. There were murders there. It was slums. That's what we heard. But when you got there, actually the house we got, there's grass, grasslands around it and kids playing and it seems quite a nice area. It's an illusion. The door of impossibility. Don't do it. It's impossible. The other thing is people said if you start a new church, you'll waste the mother church because of expenses and so on and two teams instead of one. Uh, thank you very much. No, thank you. I'll try not to cough too much. Yeah, it's just, just made perfect, isn't it? And uh, so God enabled there. And then what God has led us into, which has been quite exciting, apart from one and then two and then three church plants, which we saw maybe this morning, um, <clears throat> I have a Brazilian colleague, um, Emmanuel Santos, and uh, he's quite excited. He got a dream to come to Croatia, and within six months, God said, God, go to Croatia, and within six months he'd arrived. Didn't know any Croatian, didn't know any English, but we used sort of arm language and so on. And uh, then he learned the language. And after two or three years, after he's doing things for God, he said, Stephen, you know people around Croatia. Could we visit them? You know, different leaders and so on. And <laughs> I said, yes. Okay, and he had a vision which I quickly got onto was in Croatia it's very lonely. There's lots of small churches, in, well not there's lots, there's a few small churches in different places but many distances between them and people are isolated. I don't know, sometimes it's difficult to live the Christian life when you're on your own but when you're with a group it's really fun and it's good and there's a dynamic of seeing new faces, new people, new possibilities. And um, so he says, why don't we get all the Christians together in Croatia together and to see what can happen. Now, we didn't have the great plan of what we're going to do afterwards. We just knew it was God's good idea, let's say, God's will, if you want, that we get people together and we see how they have a dynamic together. And it was wonderful. We got, uh, this is a thing of faith, actually, because do you really believe that it's necessary? Are you willing to do the, the dirty work of communicating, driving over there, going to meet people and so on? And, in the end, we drove quite a long way. We got the highest people of authority, the Pentecostal denomination leaders, the Baptist denomination leaders, some of the charismatic churches that were deemed a bit difficult um, to co-work with others. And we went to everyone, <coughs> and emails and phone calls and going to our cups of tea, and we said, let's have a conference, a consultation with Lausanne, where Billy Graham and John Stott are leading that, and both of them are dead, but one's evangelism, one's... Um, theology and evangelical and <laughs> we'll try to get everybody together so three years ago 45 of the top leaders and different parachurch mission campus crusade were there as well and we got them together and usually that's a recipe for an argument I don't know but sometimes Christian argy bargy you know who's the top dog and this and that and they look down on others well we said we will create the atmosphere where everyone's equal and everybody gets the time to speak and it was like a forum different people spoke a few minutes and everyone discussed and it was dynamite and these people who had not been together in such circles beforehand had a joy i was from the baptist group and i saw wonderful pentecostals and they were my age or younger 
and it's possible to be younger than me, uh, and uh, full of joy, and they were dynamic, and they'd done things, and I thought, hey, and these were optimistic people as well, we can really go places with this. So then we went into regions, and we visited, they couldn't all come to Zagreb, like, you couldn't expect somebody from London to come up to Kendal, or someone from Sunderland to go down to Cardiff, so you have to go regionalists and everybody. We said they have less than two hours to travel. And the local people loved it. In one conference we had overnight and it was wonderful. And then they got ideas of what we can do. And it's wonderful to see now that there's people training in evangelism, people training in discipleship. We're talking about mentorship and trying to pair off experienced older Christians with younger ones so then they're not alone. Encouragement. Here there's an idea, they're not creating the wheel every time. And when you've got four or five people behind you, it's amazing how you can go forward empowered. And so this was the catalyzation, the doing things together, cross-fertilization, and it was wonderful. But God doesn't just stop with that. Then, um, one of my colleagues who's, who's with Lausanne uh, for church planting in the world, he got me involved, and Emmanuel, in a group in Europe where there's a church planting movement starting networks in every country in Europe wanting to start. Britain's involved, or at least England's involved. Um, we're still waiting. Wales, we're still waiting, and I don't know about the other countries. But Croatia's there, there's Germany, there's Sweden, Norway, and so on. And it's amazing, they got people from each of those countries together and see how can we start a church planting movement. Now, it's amazing to be involved in such atmosphere. And there's some wonderful people, but God wants to do so many things. And I just say it's the faith and expectation thing. If we are willing to believe that our God can do great things, humble people like you and like me, it's amazing what we can be involved in. But we all start saying, do I believe in God? Do I believe the gospel is all-powerful? If we believe the gospel is all-powerful, we'll boast about God to our friends and neighbors. And if we believe the gospel is all-powerful, we'll say, well, let's make an impact. What can we do as a church? What can we do as a youth group? How can we impact this society? Oh, we're not big enough, we're not good enough. We just, we just don't have it. We don't have those gifts. Stephen, you, you know, you, it's easy for you to do it. Why is it easy for me to do it? I'm the same as you, and you're the same as me. God can use anyone, and he wants to. i just finish now with a quote and I think it's, I don't know if it's D.L. Moody, Dwight Moody. He was a great evangelist about 200 years ago in America especially, but also in Britain. And Moody and Sankey, they have music books and they're famous and everything. But Moody, I think it's him, he said, I'm not anything special, but God was looking for a person who was really so incapable of things that his pride wouldn't get in the way. And he would give himself fully to him. And Moody decided to be somebody who would just be given to God to do whatever. And when we, th we give the keys of our life to God and say, just do what you want with my life, it's amazing the talents he gives you. It's amazing the possibilities. But you have this expectation of faith that God, through you, can do great things. Firstly, that you can survive as a Christian. Sometimes that's the big battle. But not just survive, but thrive. But we do it when we're together. And that's the thing I've seen. When we're together, unselfishly, not boasting, building somebody else up and willing to be small. And if you're willing to be small in God's kingdom, God will actually make you big.
I believe it's written in the Bible somewhere. So thank you.